Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking about sex and sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, and relationships, and hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because great sex matters and we all deserve it. So ladies, are you confident enough to start up difficult conversations about your relationship or get fully naked in front of your new partner? Or openly carry a tampon to the restroom in public. (laughs) If you answered no to any of these questions, just know you are not alone. You are one of many women who are feeling the effects of sexual madness. And on today's show, we're going to find out how you can transition out of a state of sexual madness and into the state of sexual mindfulness a state in which women can give themselves permission to feel more worthy of love and great sex, and then have it. All right. If you heard someone laughing in the background, that was Jen Gonzalez, who's going to be our guest today. But (laughs) we're going to bring her on in a minute. All right. But as we do every show, we want to take a minute to tell you about our must-have top waterproof blanket, which now comes in four reversible colors because nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot and squirt is hot until it's not. So if you're fed up with sleeping in that wet spot or having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils, silicone lubes, and all other sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking like brand new. And now we have a new sexy pink and blue reversible blanket, both colors representing the ribbons supporting breast cancer and prostate cancer. And to support the cause, we'll donate $5 from each blanket sold to a charity that helps cancer survivors get back in the sack. Because great sex matters, and cancer survivors deserve it too. And you don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply go to Amazon and search Top Waterproof Blanket. That's T-O-P, Waterproof Blanket, and order yours today. Great sex starts now. It it sure does. So this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're so excited to welcome back today's guests. Sociologist and intimacy coach Dr. Jennifer Gonzalez is a national speaker on couples intimacy, sexual consent, women's empowerment, gender communication, erotic play, and mindful sex. She has presented two TEDx talks. We are going to have a great show because it's always fun talking to a guest who has her own podcast (laughs) and helps carry the conversation. So, (laughs) Dr. Jen Gonzalez, welcome back to The Sexy Lifestyle. It's so great to have you here and for taking time out of your day for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me back again. This is exciting to continue the conversation after a couple years ago. Yeah, and you're calling from um, the sunny San Diego, which is a beautiful spot to live in. It was. I actually just this morning I biked down. It's a Monday morning. I biked down and um, 
uh, have my bathing suit on and got a little latte and was doing some writing by the beach. And I'm like, this is amazing. Darn. Don't you <laughs> it's hate amazing that, that I live here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I know you've been working very, very hard on your new book, and we're going to want to hear all about it. So let I'm going to let you introduce your book to everybody who's listening. Awesome. Yeah. So the title is From Madness to Mindfulness, Reinventing Sex for Women. Um, I started writing this about six and a half years ago. So it's been a long haul of uh, working on it and then not working on it for six to nine months and then getting re-inspired. And um, last summer, I I finally found a a publisher for it, Cleus Press, that's been doing fantastic sexuality books for for several decades. Um, And the I speak, what I mean by madness is what I'm calling sexual madness and, and how you um, introed it before is this um, kind of this, this big, like looking at it as a big picture as a sociologist in our society, um, in society, we both, we tend to have a lot of fear and shame around real sexual topics and around our human bodies. But on the flip side, we also plaster sex everywhere in the form of women's bodies and using sex to try to sell things. Um, and, you know, the romanticism of, um, uh, of sex and orgasms in Hollywood movies. So we have this kind of dichotomy of fear and shame, but are being plastered everywhere. And then what I speak to in this book is then really looking at how that plays at the level of women learning about their bodies and learning about sex as they grow up and have their first sexual experiences. So the sexual madness that I speak to is the poor sex education that we have, that many young women never even learn in anatomy classes that they have a clitoris, which is you know the Crazy. source of mm-hmm. great pleasure mm-hmm. for most women. Um, the the fact that, that coercion is a part of so many sexual encounters, that girls aren't taught, they're taught to put the needs of others first um, instead of speaking up for themselves and what they want or don't want. Uh, the fact that so many women fake orgasm because we don't understand women's bodies and orgasms. Uh, and that, so there's so many components of this this madness around our bodies and our sexuality. And then as adult women, we're supposed to flip a switch and have amazing sex lives and choose one person and be passionate with them for the rest of our lives and be, um, you know, open and spontaneous with our desire. And, and, and then when most women don't experience that, they think that they're broken, that right. there's something wrong with them in some way. Mm-hmm. And so all of that is what I'm calling madness. And the point of my book, at least the beginning of my book, is to show women how you are not alone. What, what you think is something wrong with you or not normal is totally normal in the context of our society and how we've been trained and taught and the negative messages you may have internalized. Interesting. And then I introduce mindfulness. Um, and we could get into that later um, and the point of how I use mindfulness and apply it. But that is all the, the sexual madness that I'm speaking to. Cool. Now, now, Jen, did you have a motivating incident or something personal that drove you six years ago to start writing this book? Mm, great question. Um, so the reason six and a half years ago that I started sitting down and writing it is because I did, I've done two TEDx talks and my first one was about, I think it was in December of 2012, um, and it was on this topic, 
of sex, uh, mindful or mindful. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, you have to see it spelled to right. make sense of it. Um, and I specifically looked at uh, female sexuality and the state of affairs. So kind of everything I'm talking about. And it was so that TEDx talk was so well received from the audience and the people that came up afterwards. And I knew I was really tapping into something and a perspective that was new and fresh for folks, men and women um, in the audience. And so that's what triggered me starting to work on the book. But the big picture around it is that I was raised a good girl in a small town in Pennsylvania, outside Philadelphia. You know, I got a lot of the the fear and responsibility messages um, that we get as young women growing up around sex, and none of the the pleasure (laughs) or the fun or the empowerment or the knowledge of my body um, that give you, you know, that give us confidence and voice um, to explore who we want to be as sexual beings um, on our own terms. So that's, you know, I was, I was steeped in all of that messaging growing up and I was raised, um, in Catholicism. So, you know, I got a healthy dose of that (laughs) and, and all that comes with that. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that, and then I got into, to sociology in, um, college and then in graduate school with that's what my PhD is in. So, um, and just learning, being able to deconstruct all of these messages um, of what we think is normal and natural around sex and realize, no, we've actually been taught these. We've been trained into these, which means we have power and possibility in doing something different. Right. And you coined this terminology of sexual madness. I think it, it encompasses a whole lot of things. And it includes men because they also have to learn all of the things that you're talking about as well. And in their bodies, too, I know they explore a little bit more than women do normally because their penis is, you know, is available at all times. Um, but they also have to learn all these things that you're talking about that we see everywhere, all the sexuality around us, and, and yet they're not allowed just to touch women because that's not right. You so, have an issue with my penis being available to you at all times? Oh, no, honey. No, no, no. That's always a good thing. <laughs> Especially in the thing. morning when I wake up. It's there. <laughs> it is All you there. gotta do is jump on it. That's the best thing. You know, we didn't we didn't know our clit was so big and so, you know, the way it was until, I, I don't know, about five years ago, I learned really about the clitoris, and which is crazy that at this stage of my life, I'm learning more and more about my body, which is amazing. Um, but that's the stuff that you're talking about the madness is that we're not taught these things early on in our lives and we're able to make make decisions and form ideas around I guess misinformation or lacking information instead of real information yeah and I like you know just to get back to the point you were making Carol about um men having their own version of sexual madness like absolutely a lot of this is based on the gender roles, the binary gender roles of either male or female that we are socialized into from birth, mm-hmm. um, regardless of, of who we may naturally be or authentically be, we're forced into boxes. And that's changing absolutely in our society. Um, but most folks still are raised with very um, strict expectations of what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman. And that for men creates a box of masculinity for them. What it is to be a man in a sexual situation means that they have to initiate, they should go for what they want. Um, and, you know, we socialize or social um, emotional intelligence out of many of our young boys. Mm-hmm. So it means that they, you know, as teenagers, they have all of these emotions. They have um, these hormones 
they they want to be seen, they want to be liked, but they're not given um, emotional intelligence and resilience about how to handle all of that, and how to be responsible with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 yeah, and that's just and that's its own um, crime um, in sexual madness of the boxes and the the I guess lack of skills in in communication and awareness that we don't treat boys, that we don't teach to boys. We, we yeah. teach some to girls, but not much either. So yeah, no, it, it, this, the sexual madness harms everybody in society, harms individuals, harms relationships, it harms communities, and, it, and it's harmful to society overall in terms of sexual harassment and exploitation. Yeah, and sexual abuse and assault and, and all aspects of, of societal harm. So at all levels, this impacts us in a negative way. Now, just to follow up on the, the point that we were talking about before about men and how they are uh, put in their little box and have their expectations, we had a really fun evening last night with a couple of our friends, and just by chance, we happened to talk about being macho and what it means to be macho. And um, our friend's wife asked, asked her husband, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how macho do you think you are? And I just loved his response because he said something like, and I'm just going to paraphrase, it just depends on what you call macho, you know, how you define that. And as long as it includes sensitivity, because I am, you know, he was saying how sensitive he is to, to everybody's needs and issues, that if it includes sensitivity, then of course, he feels that he can be macho and on a scale of one to 10, probably high up there. But if it doesn't include sensitivity then then he's not even interested in being macho so i thought that was a really great response but he still said he was a six <laughs> okay i said i was like a two <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a macho guy i'm but, so i'm self-confident but i'm not macho yeah well okay but but sensitivity right. in a man's world is so important it to be well-rounded you could be you know and have a strong and and brawny and go after the girls whatever but you still have to be sensitive once you get them yeah and i love what your friend did there because basically what he was doing is realizing that there is a mainstream what we call you know um heteronormative version of masculinity um that that is kind of what we think of when we think of macho which does not generally include um emotional awareness and sensitivity and kindness um and not that it doesn't have versions of 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 um traits that are actually really positive also um, but it doesn't, in, in, you know, involve the other quote unquote more feminine side. And what your friends seem to realize is, um, you know, I, I can create my own version of masculinity mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, there's many versions of masculinity. And I think that's what a lot of the conversations, um, you know, the Gillette ad came out earlier this year, um, calling out, you know, quote unquote toxic masculinity. And while I don't love that terminology, because I think it makes folks quite reactive or shut down. Um, I, I think what it's looking at is that there's one more um, hegemonic version of masculinity that we get taught as the ideal. And we're realizing that that's harmful. That's mm-hmm. harmful for men. It's mm-hmm. harmful for society. It's harmful for women, for children, for everybody. And to realize you could still absolutely have pride and identify as a man with so many positive traits around that. Um, and but have flexibility in how you define those traits in a way that are 
expressive and good for you and good for your kids and boys around you and good for the women in your life. For sure. I think that was that's a great point. Now, getting back to your book, which is really targeted at women and how this sexual madness is affecting the women in the world. I'm sure that men can learn from this, too. But is it really about how they have they form relationships and and learn to communicate? Is that some of the, the real causes of the sexual madness we're talking about? Yeah, the the kind of the the gist of the book and how I tie it to mindfulness um, is is really our relationship uh, starting helping women start from the place of their relationship to these messages that they've internalized in society. So if you've heard so many negative messages or undermining messages or confusing messages. Um, about being a woman, being sexual, um, how you relate to others, what your worth is as a woman, how you feel, how your body should look and not look. Um, we need to, I believe we need to start at that place of how are you relating to these messages and literally how are they showing up inside you? What are the beliefs you have about it? What are the emotions that you have? And literally where do you somatically feel it in your body? in your throat, in your chest, in your solar plexus, in your gut, uh, where does it show up for you? Because, you know, anything, uh, those negative messages live in us. Mm -hmm. um, And they're often attached to embarrassment and shame um, and disappointment and sadness and this deep, you know, felt sense of self-worth or lack of self-worth. And so that's that, um, that's the place where I have women starting, which is going to be, there's going to be a lot of similarities in what women experience about this. If you've grown up in American society, but we're all going to have our own unique personal versions of that. And so, um, and I, the, the one premise of my book is that so often that we are taught in society and in our, um, you know, quick talking points of, of media headlines, um, that if we want to improve our sex lives, we should move towards pleasure mm-hmm. and towards what feels good. Mm-hmm. And my premise and argument is that you can do that all you want, but <laughs> I call that, uh, I don't say this in my book, um, but I call that putting icing on a shit cupcake. Uh, yeah. That um, you need to deal with the stuff beneath it. You need to get to the foundational messages you've been fed. And that is instead of moving towards the pleasure, first moving towards the pain, towards the discomfort of these messages and where they live in you and your belief systems about them. And that and and giving women the confidence to do it, the skills to do it, and knowing that every woman has way more courage and strength than she thinks she does. And that's a lot of the messages of my book is that encouragement and that support and then the actual skills of how to do that, how to be kind to yourself in the process and know that this is difficult, but you can do it. Now, I know that with all the media around and we see so many, I'm going to say beautiful women and I'm going to call them ideal bodies, uh, and that really affects women's body image when they don't live up to the ideals of the 0.1% of the women who actually keep their body looking like that. But it starts, I think it starts very young in life with even Barbie, who is so unproportionally um, proportioned that you're expecting to be tall and slim and have a perfect body like that. You know, these are messages that's starting at three-year-olds. 
Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I think Barbie has been evolving some, at least, I think, in her clothing and stuff like that. But I know when I grew up with Barbie in the 70s and early 80s, and my sister and I um, used to dress her up, and she'd go to the disco, which definitely speaks to the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was so much around, right, her, like, perfect body, and that her feet are already shaped to have high heels right. on, like she can't even stand flat. Right. Um, right. They might have changed that now. I'm not sure. I haven't been keeping up with Barbie, but I know they've been trying to make her evolve some. Um, and But it's all around her fashion and her long blonde hair and her presentation of self um, for others versus, you know, what, what's it, you know, what, what does she want her career to be? Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does Barbie find her voice? Who does she want to be in this world on her own terms? Not in terms of how is Barbie being viewed um, by others as her own, as her only source of, um, you know, worth or meaning in this world. Exactly. That's really where I was getting at. And that's so that can affect people like subconsciously, you don't even realize that you're doing this when you give your child a Barbie to play with, you think it's okay, but it's really not it's not helpful uh, with learning these kinds of things that you're teaching in your book. Yeah, and I think I mean, I think give give kids a whole variety of to boys, girls, gender non-binary kids, give them a whole variety of toys to play with. Mm-hmm. Like, let them gravitate towards what most interests them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say if you have a child who, you know, puts a lot of emphasis on, you know, body stuffers, you know, Barbie and the thin dolls and the fashion and all, just get them, check in with that. What's that mean to them? Why do they like that? Why are they gravitating towards that? It's just, you know, always being exposing them to different views um, and different um, toys to play with and so then, that that develop their imagination and their creativity and their play in all sorts of ways. And realizing that there's not one there's not one ideal look uh, that blonde, tall, right. skinny girl. There should be lots of different types of looks uh, that are beautiful. And I guess this giving a variety, like you said, is going to be a goal. Uh, if any parents out there listening, whether it's uh, your children yeah. or your grandchildren, make sure they have a variety of what they're looking at. I guess it's time for a quick break right now. We are talking with author and intimacy coach, Dr. Jen Gonzalez, all about her new book. And when we come back, we're going to find out how women can empower themselves to have a more sex positive life by using mindfulness practices. This is The Sexy Lifestyle with Carolyn David, and we'll be right back after this. If you're looking for the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever, then you simply have to book with Topless Travel. From Hito 2 in Jamaica, Desire are now in Cancun, and like all the Bliss Cruises we've been, Topless Travel needs to be your number one choice. And all their trips and events are all about the people. And, of course, the sexy, fun experience that they're having together. So let's just shout out to all the sexy host couples like Party and Mark and Chelsea who are here. And, of course, they're always on those trips to make sure you have one hell of a sexy vacation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. It was close. It was close. I can't do it. And you're going to find us like we are here on many of the topless travel ship trips. But listen up. We're going back to Hito 2 in February. We were there last year and the year before for another sexy silver event from February 25th to March 1st. As usual, rooms are selling out super fast. And if you don't want to miss the biggest lifestyle party on the Grill Beach in Jamaica, then book your room now. And um, listen to this. In 2024, yep, I'm already talking about 2024, Topless Travel is putting together not one but two bucket list trips from which we'll be broadcasting live. 
Uh, the first one is March 2nd to 13th, 2024, where we'll be exploring exploring the ancient pyramids of Egypt, followed by a seven-day riverboat cruise down the Nile in Jordan. And the second trip, we're going to be heading to Kenya for an African safari to witness the Great Migration, a little bit like glamping in the wild. From September 2nd to the 11th, 2024. Now, on both these trips, space is super limited. Um, we're sold out at about 70%. So, if you don't want to miss these amazing adventures with your like minded friends, then go and book your rooms today. For more information about these trips or any of the topless travel events, go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. And also, let's just remind everyone that if you're looking for an online, open-minded community to find compatible people and events in your area, simply join sdc.com and use promo code 30314 for your first month free. All right, so we're back. This is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and we're chatting with author and intimacy coach, Dr. Jen Gonzalez, all about her new book, From Madness to Mindfulness, Reinventing Sex for Women, all about empowering women to have more confidence around sex and sexuality. So, Dr. Jen, before we get into your mindful practices, I, I had a thought, like, what is stopping women from gaining confidence in the first place? Is it just all those uh, messages that they're getting, or is there other things that are influencing this as well? Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that play into all of us individually where at any one moment we find ourselves um, feeling confident or not confident. And I think that is, you know, I think we all have different just sort of genetics and personality factors around that. Certainly our, um, our childhood upbringing around our parents um, and our stability or lack of stability at home, um, any traumas you might have experienced, um, how much support and, and processing you got around them or didn't. Um, the messages from society, and that comes through family and religion and school and government, um, your cultural upbringing, the country you grew up in. Uh, I think there's so many, um, and then, you know, experiences that you've had um, as, as an adult, um, sexual experiences, uh, body image experiences. I, I, there's just, I think there's so many different factors. Um, and I think, you know, maybe at birth, we all have slightly different set points, like I said, based on genetics, but you have all of these social factors um, that are coming into play and influencing that. And that means we have um, a lot more say over this than we think we do. And I guess, uh, and like I said, I think, I think we all have a lot more courage than we think we do. I guess that means also that we actually have the ability to gain more confidence when we understand what's stopping us from having that confidence. Yeah. We can actually make those changes ourselves. And I guess that brings us to what your practice is that you're talking about, this mindfulness and how that can empower people, women, to, uh, to gain um, control of their lives, gain confidence and move forward to have a, a better life together. Yeah, and let me I'll, let me dive in a little bit just with a basic um, definition of mindfulness, just in case anybody. I mean, it's become definitely a buzzword in our society at this point. You know, and six years ago when I started working on this book, it was not in that place. Um, but at its core, mindfulness means present moment awareness without judgment. And 
in terms of how I use that, I use that in what I call applied mindfulness, because there's many, there's many practices in mindfulness and specific meditation, which are very, you know, sitting down, um, being quiet, observing your thoughts, focusing on your breath. Um, there's, there's so many you're walking meditations, super slow walking meditations. There's many different versions of formal practices of how do you develop um, mindfulness um, in your brain, um, which is developing really your prefrontal cortex and your ability to focus and concentrate without judgment. Um, my version of it then is an applied version of that um, and a lot of looking at in any moment around a sexual topic or an intimate topic, um, what are your thoughts um, and beliefs, your emotions, and your bodily sensations? Like I, I mentioned those three things before. And so the, the way that this applies to um, improving our sex lives is, is four different ways. Um, one is uh, being able to address these societal messages that I've been talking about head on and with an open heart. Um, cause often we're really shut down cause these messages make us feel shame or bad about ourselves and we're shut down. And so through mindfulness and not judging, um, these messages and what you're noticing and your beliefs and how they feel, you can move into these, uh, shining a bright light on these messages um, and staying present with them instead of shutting down or numbing yourself or wanting to run away from them. Um, and then through mindfulness, we can also, we can look at our patterns in relationships and we can um, break our communication patterns and start to create new ones um, around, especially having conversations around difficult topics. And then you can also apply mindfulness to specifically staying present in sexual encounters so that you can connect more with your partner, you can experience more pleasure, you can drop into joy in new ways. And then the fourth component of it is specifically around sexual pain, desire concerns, erectile concerns. Um, and there's a, a great researcher out of Vancouver, Lori Brado, who is the pioneer of mindfulness as applied to sex research, specifically around um, women's sexual desire and women's sexual pain, um, specifically she's done a lot of research about post-cancer um, treatments and such things. So those four different ways um, are, are super powerful in really reclaiming our sex lives in ways that we haven't had access to before. And Jen, when it comes to sexual mindfulness, and I know you are an expert, I mean, that's one of your um, topics that you enjoy talking about most. If you bring the sexual mindfulness down to a couple who are having some, you know, not the greatest sex, and they, they, they think, you know, putting a penis in a vagina and having an orgasm is great sex, talk to, just talk a little bit about how they can focus on that mindfulness to have a greater sexual experience. Well, and I think some of it is, um, you know, starting before you get to the point <laughs> that you're putting a penis in a vagina. Um, in having open dialogue about these type of topics first and recognize that everybody is bringing to a sexual encounter a whole litany of beliefs, experiences, um, traumas, exciting things, um, you know, a whole, I don't want to use the word baggage, but at least a whole, um, 
I don't know, a whole a whole team with them. <laughs> well, I think baggage um, baggage gives us the visuals, so we get what you mean for sure. <laughs> right. Um, but and, and that's and um, not addressing that can be very limiting because we don't know them and the ways that that's um, influencing us, have how we're interacting with a new person or even somebody we've been with for a long time and how it's weighing us down or how it's limiting us from what's really possible in a sexual encounter and in intimacy, that vulnerability, emotional intimacy overall. And so um, having open dialogue about conversations that even um, – particularly if you're coming to the table and you're like feeling really open about sexual topics and, and you've had really good experiences and, and you don't have much negative messaging about it, it may be really hard for you to stand in someone else's shoes. So to even entertain the thought that, hey, they may have things that are limiting them from their past or what they've been taught through their religion um, or just an assumption that they made that they didn't even know they made that assumption. Um, and just having open dialogue about that, just coming in with curiosity and exploration and giving people safe space where they're not going to be judged or stigmatized for um, anything that they're bringing to the table. Like that type of safety and communication and exploration, um, I think you're going to learn so much about yourself and you're going to learn so much about each other. One of the exercises I give in the book, because every chapter in the book ends with um, reflection topics and space to actually write in the book, um, answers to these questions and then every and then there's an action item also and one of them is to sit down and and talk to your friends about what messages they grew up with Mm -hmm. around sex and where they learned them and um, I just got feedback from a woman that has a review copy of my book um, because you know we sent them out for folks that are writing endorsements and and advanced reviews and she was saying she went and had that conversation with her friends and it was so eye-opening for her she had no idea that she, what she just assumed was normal, natural conversations or ways of being of, of, of what she learned around sex in her family um, with totally different experiences that her girlfriends had. Being open. and Those messages are so culturally different depending on your background. Totally. And that's really what we don't realize because when we go to school and we're with all our friends and they're all friends that you know, you don't really know exactly what's happening with those discussions at home around the, the dining table no. and how they interact with their parents and what they tell and what they don't tell. And so that's kind of where those differences are coming from. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, in so many different places. Um, but our home, whether what we talk about or don't talk about, speaks volumes. I don't know if everybody knows that all those background things actually can cause trauma in a relationship. I guess just the fact that you're telling everybody that that baggage that we carry is often limiting and and can be the source of the problem if you are having a problem with your sexuality that um, I guess some people didn't even know that that was a, a source. So, um, you know, your your book and your right. exercises are, are crucial to even bring that to the forefront. Yeah. And just, yeah, that knowing that this was, this is the foundation, whether we want it to be or not, um, of who we are today. And when we um, own that and realize that this isn't a way of like being a victim or getting stuck, like that can give us so much freedom to be like, oh, that's where that crap came from. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't want to carry that forward anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to. I have a choice now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, there's just so much freedom in that and creating um, stepping into possibility of, of who do you want to be um, as a sexual woman on your own terms. So 
And then, you know, back to David's question of, you know, then, you know, once you're in a sexual encounter, this presence of recognizing every time maybe you're in your head that you're thinking about what yourself or what your body looks like or am I performing enough or what should I be doing or what do I want here? And not that those are bad questions to think about, but make sure they're always balanced with also just dropping into the moment Mm -hmm. and attuning to the body and the person and the emotions um, and the senses that are all around you and right in front of you in this person, like um, in your partner. Like to me, that's what it is to be a good lover. It can look a million different ways. Um, as long as you are just as present as possible um, and attuning to the person in front of you. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're not attuned to yourself also. I mean, you don't want to not care about your own pleasure and be um, attuned to that as well. But that, that balance of attunement to yourself um, and also to your partner um, and that it's always a, a safe space just to be that raw and vulnerable with another human being. I mean, that is, um, that's some beautiful love making there. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of exactly where you should be focusing on the pleasure and not the goal of having the orgasm. So once you get to this point, and you are mindful with each other, like you were talking about, that's when you need to be focusing on the pleasure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So Jen, when we're talking about mindfulness, how important is it to invest in the right relationship? interesting question of the, the kind of the concept of a right relationship. And my first thought about that is like, how do we determine if something is a right relationship for us? Meaning I think, is it a, is it a quality relationship or are we getting our needs met? Are we heard? Are we respected? Are we loved? And are we able to give that to the best of our ability? And I think the only way we really know that is through how good our intuition is. Um, and intuition, I think kind of shows up two ways. One is, what I call like real intuition and one that's kind of fake intuition Um, and intuition. When we think about it is like a gut knowing um, it's just a certainty I'm a feeling. And it's based on any research on it shows that it's based on a, we can't logically point to how we know something, um, but it's sort of encompassing all, all aspects of our brain and all past experiences um, in just this sense of felt knowing um, versus sometimes intuition, it can feel like intuition, but it's actually fear. Mm. For example, if you have been cheated on before mm-hmm. and you're um, in a new relationship and your partner does something that looked similar to what your past partner did when they were cheating on you, that might feel like intuition that you know they're cheating on you, but that's actually a past hurt mm-hmm. or trauma um, and an old and a pattern surfacing. And so the more that we cultivate mindfulness, um, which is a, a really a deep knowing of ourselves and pulling, continually pulling back the layers of who we are and how we operate and, and keep doing that through kindness. Cause when you do that and you get deeper levels of mindfulness and meditation, you can start to step back and be like, Oh my God, what the hell have I been doing all this time? This is insane. I've been a zombie and I'm just reactive here and I'm not thoughtful here. And what am I doing? So being kind to yourself in this process of, and, uh, and compassionate in this process of pulling back the layers, the more we do that, the more we know ourselves, the more we can trust, uh, the relationships that we're choosing to be in and whether this person is right for us because 
they seem right in the moment because we're running through past patterns um, or we need to prove ourselves or we're working through past hurts or they're right for us um, kind of in our higher consciousness and what's our higher, you know, state of what's good for us and good for that other person. Um, and so I, you know, what's going to be right for each, each person is going to be totally different and depend on where we are in our journey of life. But um, practices and mindfulness and meditation absolutely um, help us get clearer on making those decisions and knowing where our, our true motivation is coming from and who we're choosing to date. And I guess when you uh, also find your voice, when you're doing the mindfulness practices and you find your voice and you actually are able to express what your needs are, you can assess better if your partner is actually reaching those needs. Because if not, and you can express it and then they can change some patterns, but if you can't even talk about it, then it's difficult to make those changes and actually meet the needs that you've realized that you actually have. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's one thing I hear... Um, really it's from men of all ages and then particularly um, younger women when I work with them, that they're like, how do I know what I want? Um, how do I get in touch with that? And that, you know, stems from, you know, a lot of childhood messages. If you were learned to give to others, if you learn to be a pleaser, and not that those are, you know, bad things, or if you learn that your needs don't matter mm -hmm. growing up, mm -hmm. it's really hard to be in touch with them and to know that you have a right to have them and a right to request them to someone else. Mm -hmm. Now, the other person has a right to negotiate with you around them, um, you know, and have an open conversation, hopefully an open, loving conversation. So you're finding a balance in your needs of what you want to give and receive. Um, but that that fundamental place of of knowing your needs, that's a very um, vulnerable place, because if we don't have needs or think we have needs, um, then we don't have to feel vulnerable. But that's that's all a mask. That's a lot of armor because we're humans. We yeah. all have needs for connection and being seen and loved and acknowledged and just fundamentally knowing that we matter to others. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just remind everybody that we are Carolyn David and we are here with author and sexologist Dr. Jen Gonzalez talking about how we can make changes in our lives which will help us get more confidence and when it comes to sex and sexual topics. All right, let's remind everyone that we're chatting with the amazing uh, coach and sexologist and author, Dr. Jen Gonzalez. And now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. So Dr. Jen's book has a goal of reinventing sex for women with guided questions, action items, and tips to create a personal reinventing sex plan. So let's get into the details of how this works. Tell us about the sex plan that you are talking about. Wait, wait, book. wait. I'm going to take oh. notes so we can have that plan and try of it tonight. Of course, This honey. afternoon even. Of course, honey. You know, practice <laughs> makes perfect. You know what's so funny, though? Like, that you're like, we're going to take notes and do it tonight. It's all about... Um, it's not a it's not a quick fix. None of it is flipping a switch. Exactly. <laughs> you know, this is all an an evolution. Um, and while absolutely, I'm you know, because I'm a coach, so I am all about practical, so applied solutions. And some of them are activities. Boom, you absolutely can do tonight. And other ones are just constantly, like I said, it's pulling back the layers of the onion. 
um, and always, you know, seeing what's there with kindness for yourself and, and exploring yourself, you know, specifically as women. But Jen, um, but Jen is, is pulling back the layers of the onion sort of like you're talking about pulling back the layers of the vagina and you want to get closer and deeper and really get into the clit. And... Well, for sure, that's what you want to do. Honey. I absolutely okay. want to oh. peel back those layers. That's <laughs> my favorite thing is Only... Only if that's what she has asked for. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> she always asks for it. Well, it's perfect. That's... But because you know that and you guys have communicated mm-hmm. about that. But that's not really the onion um, you're talking about. <laughs> no, it's a different onion, honey. Uh, no, it, I mean, uh, hopefully we all get to that point. <laughs> um, yeah, so the by... You know, the reinventing sex plan is, you know, as I've said a couple of times, the whole point of this book is to help women figure out who they want to be as um, sexual beings on their own terms. And so I have over, I think, over 40 different exercises that I mentioned throughout the book um, in the context of the book and giving client examples around it. And so people can see these exercises in action. And then um, one of the final chapters of my book is uh, the reinventing sex plan. Like, how do you put this into action? And so taking a very practical coaching perspective and listing the page numbers that all these exercises were on, um, and then encouraging women to literally create a calendar for themselves of the next month, and then ideally to to commit to it for the next three months. Because I think it, in general, I think it takes about three months of, of committed daily or, you know, most almost daily um, small actions um, to really start to create a change, to really start to create new neural pathways in our brains. And what would some um, of those? What would, to, some, what would some of those changes be? Those like specific ones. Yeah. So one of them could be like one of my favorite activities to recommend to folks is what I call happy naked fun time. (laughs) And that's where folks, you know, once a week can just have 45 minutes of intimacy time um, where there's no pressure. There's no expectations. um, There's no technology in the room. Um, And they literally just set a timer with no goals where they just get to be with each other naked or semi naked. Um, And, you know, depending on, you know, where they are in their, their life and their communication and how often they have sex or don't have sex, that it's about them connecting um, intimately, just physically with their bodies, two human bodies together, and then letting it unfold as it does without any goals or expectations. So that is, um, it's taking out all of the the known kind of, you know, moving through the bases of a sexual encounter um, or that it's focusing on what we think of as sexual pleasure and that this really is about this safe space just to be together as bodies and really having no technology, which in and of itself is one of the biggest things couples can create. For sure. So, for example, so, so a woman might want to put that on her calendar, you know, talk to her partner, obviously, but every Friday night or every Sunday afternoon <laughs> from mm-hmm. 3 to 345, mm-hmm. that's in the calendar. Um, and another activity um, could be about you know, doing the five love languages quiz. Um, you do it and your partner does it um, online. And that would be just a one-time type thing that you stick it in your calendar. Okay, we're going to take this quiz online. We're going to learn our love languages and how we give and receive love. Um, and then maybe a week later, you can schedule a half-hour conversation with your partner to actually talk about that um, and what it means and how you would apply it. Another activity could be um, to get back to what you were saying, David, could be like a vulva massage mm-hmm. um, where you just 
receive um, it doesn't have to be around penetration or even not an orgasm focus or a pleasure focus, but just receiving touch from your partner um, and surrendering to being exposed in that way of your partner learning your genitals, you learning your genitals of what feels good and doesn't, how um, it changes in color with blood flow and engorgement when it's being touched and getting aroused. Um, and just this, this intimate experience with your partner. And, um, and Jen, do you also advocate people putting time aside or, or women putting time aside to actually sit down with their partner and talk about possibly some fantasies that they have? Not necessarily that they want to do it, but maybe a fantasy where they want to push some boundaries. You know, we're swingers and uh, people ask us all the time, like, how do I bring it up to my partner? And maybe they want to have a threesome. Is, is that part of that discussion where, you know, we know you don't have that discussion after you've had sex. There has to be specific time in the week where you have that other person's focus to talk about an important subject like that. Absolutely. I mean, and that I have a, you know, one of my chapters is uh, specifically, um, on relationship communication and how to have difficult conversations mindfully and respectfully and responsibly. Um, and then I have a chapter all on sex, desire, and passion, um, which looks at those topics and then does look at specifically how do we have difficult conversations in the sexual realm. And some of the, right, and those may be, um, maybe that's a difficult conversation for one partner, but not for another, but it's definitely vulnerable to share your fantasies if you've never done that before. Um, so I, I teach skills in that. Um, one of the activities I did kind of um, that I offer tied to what you were just asking, David, is around five peak sexual experiences. And that's for a woman to do a woman to do journaling on when she thinks back, what are the top five sexual experiences she's ever had? Mm -hmm. And maybe it's more around romance. Maybe it's, you know, more around a whole, you know, romantic date. Um, maybe it's around seduction. Maybe it's around the best orgasm she's ever had. Maybe it's, you know, erotica she read or, or pornography she watched, but that has stayed in her head and has created a fantasy. Um, just to be able to, to look at, and maybe it's with a past lover. So obviously, you know, tread lightly on that in terms of how much you're, you're sharing this with another partner um, and how able they are to hear that from you and not get triggered in jealousy. Um, or at least their ability to be responsible with jealousy. So, but, um, and then, yeah, and to be able to facilitate conversations with your partners about these things. And no, this doesn't necessarily mean you want to do these things, um, but bringing fantasies into the bedroom could look like your partner knowing what your fantasy is and whispering it to mm -hmm, you in a mm -hmm, sexual encounter. Because, mm -hmm. for example, maybe if you like the idea of a threesome, but you are terrified at the thought of actually bringing someone else into the bedroom, um, that would be a fantastic way to still bring that fantasy into the bedroom of having your partner talking to you about it and giving you details about it. I mean, because our brain is our biggest sex organ. And if you're picturing something happening and you're doing it, you know, in, in, in this shared experience with your partner, it's a different way to bring a fantasy to life. Absolutely. No, Carol does um, it all the time so, yeah. when we're having sex. Yeah, we off, very often. Yeah, that, that I, shit's hot. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so hot. And we tell stories and what that other person might be doing. And it certainly, it just it, it could just yeah. get things going and really juice things but what's, up. But what's cool for us is as swingers, we actually replay some of the uh, multi-couple oh, orgies, foursomes yeah. and morsomes that we had. But other couples who aren't in the lifestyle and we don't advocate people getting into the lifestyle but something they just saw on porn and if they if she's into two guys um they watched 
porn and a girl was getting fucked by two guys, well, they can just replay what they saw on porn and or create a similar story and exactly. just make it up and yeah, that that yeah. can always work. And now, bring in sex toys. Yeah, absolutely. And so in yes. your book, do you talk about the clitoris and explain all the the anatomy of it that we have never learned in high school or or in a sex ed class and bring that to the forefront to make sure that women are looking for those things when they're learning their bodies? I actually don't. Um, and it's funny because um, I only thought about that probably like six months ago because, you know, my, this isn't, I, I speak to how we don't learn about the anatomy just in the big picture about all the sexual madness. Mm -hmm. But I would say because this book is about, it's a, it's a sociological mm -hmm. book, you know, giving that context and letting women know that they're okay. I'd say this is probably, it's probably more about um, emotional empowerment um, through mindfulness mm -hmm. um, and encourage giving women the courage and permission to explore their bodies and have these conversations they haven't had before be kind to them, themselves and stop beating themselves up right. um, when it comes to topics of, of self-worth or who they are as sexual women or their bodies. And so that's more of the focus. And I don't, you know, get into the the nitty gritty of anatomy. Um, in retrospect, I, I probably, I should have, I, could, I should have at least given it a paragraph. <laughs> but it, just, it never even, it, I mean, because right, this is a topic we talk about so much, what I call, you know, the clitoral complex. Right. Um, instead of just the, the glands of right. the clitoris as, as what we know, I mean, which we, you know, didn't even learn about that, yeah. let alone this whole, you know, complex of erectile tissue under the surface, uh -huh. um, probably including what we consider the G-spot area um, and all of that clitoral complex. So, yeah, no, I, I totally should have given that a paragraph. It just never crossed my mind. <laughs> and the other, you know, Revision two, two, I guess. <laughs> I know. In the 272 pages of my book, I was like, that somehow didn't cross my mind. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> All right. To include. <laughs> All right, Jen, you know, we could keep going on for hours. Obviously, our <laughs> listeners are gathering that you have so much valuable information, but I'm going to put you on the spot right now for some final advice to close the show. So for women who lack self-confidence and knowledge about sex and sexuality, what would be the number one thing they could do today to start to reverse the misinformation that misguided them and restart reinventing their new sex life so they can have great sex that they deserve? I have to say if it's just one thing and one simple activity, I mean, this is probably my answer to this question always when I get some version of it is to take just 15 minutes for yourself with a journal or a piece of paper and just write down what isn't working for you in your sex life. What do you know that, you, what do you want to know that you don't know? Um, what are you afraid of? Um, who, and then envision who, who do you want to be as a sexual woman? What would that feel like to you? How, how would you move through the world differently? How would you interact differently um, in dating and in sexual encounters or, you know, with your partner? Um, because this is the foundation of, of realizing that you've been fed a story um, by society, which is the story that you're now living, your sexual story, but you actually have, um, the power and the courage and the right to start rewriting your sexual story and knowing that and starting in this foundational, this foundational place of even just 15 minutes of journaling on it 
can um, be the catalyst of opening a whole new world to you as a sexual woman. And visualizing that being like you're talking about that sexual being is the first step to becoming that sexual being. So that journaling could do so much good for everybody. Yeah, because you can feel it. You could feel being in that place. And then you could start to make um, choices and what books you want to read and what conversations you want to have and how you want to carry yourself um, in new ways because now you now you actually know what you're shooting towards. Jen, as always, uh, thank you so much for that great advice. You need to promise us that we're not going to leave two years between shows and that you become uh, <laughs> more of a regular on our show. You have so much great knowledge to share with people. And, uh, why don't you just take a minute to tell everyone how they can reach out to you, social media, your website, and where they can buy your book? Yeah, it is available on Amazon now. Um, so you can order it and get it delivered that day. Uh, my main hub for all of my stuff online is my website, which is drjensden.com. That's D-R-J-E-N-N-S-D-E-N.com. Um, and that's where, you know, I've got videos, my TEDx talks there. Um, I link to my YouTube channel in the den with Dr. Jen. My podcast is there. Um, my online course for desire for women um, yeah, and then links to all my social media pages, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, the whole thing. Beautiful. <laughs> That's the place to find me. Beautiful. And we're learning more and more every week with all our fantastic expert guests, and we hope you do too. So you can visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com, to find credible information about sex and sexuality. And remember to sign up on sdc.com if you're looking for an open-minded online community to meet other sexy people and find out where the events are happening near you. If you use promo code 30314, you'll get your first month free, so check it out. For more information about anything else, visit our website, thesexylifestyle.com, or send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. All righty, unfortunately, that's it for our show today. Jen, thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for your fantastic uh, questions and conversation. Always a pleasure having uh, great guests on our show. And like I said before, you are invited to come back in the very near future. And we're going to and we're going to thank all our listeners for being there as well. And join us again next time for another hour of the sexy lifestyle talking about sex, sexuality and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Remember, stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on The Sexy Lifestyle Network. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. We'll be right back.